0: Welcome to Activation Energy by the Chemical Angel Network. I'm your host, Selma Duhovic. Once again, Halima Kashif joins me. In this episode, she and I cover the topic of harnessing offshore wind to generate clean power. And we do this with the help of Robert Crichton, the founder and CEO of Windlift, a really interesting startup that is taking wind energy airborne using autonomous tethered drones. I want to note that after this episode was recorded, Windlift received a five-year, $30 million Phase III SBIR contract with the Naval Research Laboratory with an initial task order of $11.4 million to refine its prototype and showcase its technology to the Department of Defense. The company also received a Phase 1 SBIR grant from the Department of Energy, which is aimed at bolstering its offshore wind platform with hopes for a more substantial $1.1 million Phase 2 grant in April of next year. To support this growth, Windlift is now hiring new engineers and technicians. Finally, Windlift has also become a finalist in the Verge Climate Tech Competition in San Jose this October, positioning the company as one of the top five climate energy tech startups to watch. Rob, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Hi, Salma. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and uh, your audience about my work at Windlift.
0: Let's dive right in. Can you tell us a bit about... Your professional trajectory and how you ended up working on wind energy.
1: Sure. So yeah, I I really haven't had what you call a traditional career path at all. I, I sometimes wonder, you know, how I ended up running an aerospace engineering company as a biologist. But you know, I I guess you know my love for machine design really started in high school. Um, I had a chemistry teacher, uh, Mrs. Ruda, and she told me I could skip. Uh, doing her AP chemistry class homework if I joined the state science challenge team. So I thought that was a pretty good deal. I still had to, you know, pass all the tests, but I could, you know, save a little bit of time doing homework. And, uh, you know, Sean Meyer, uh, WindLift's chief operating officer now, he was also on that team. We went to high school together. Um, So we were juniors in high school, and one of the challenges was to build a machine that shot basketballs into a hoop. So we figured out how to put a backspin on the ball with our machine and it stabilized the flight. And uh, we ended up winning the state science competition. And we shot four times as many baskets as the second place finisher. So that was like our first taste of you know problem solving success. Um, but and then after high school, you know, I bounced around for a while. I was a canoe fishing guide up in the Boundary Waters canoe area. And you know, I think working in nature, you really get an intuitive sense for our place in it. And I really wanted to learn more about ecology and, and genetics uh, so I dove back into academia and I finally, finally got a genetics degree uh, from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, so that was gr- uh, amazing being there at that time. I ended up staying at UW-Madison, working as a technician on uh, the Human Genome Project, and uh, also worked in a chemistry lab there doing uh, single molecule microscopy with DNA. So it was like a really exciting time. I got to see all this amazing technology, work with brilliant scientists, engineers, and, and uh you know, I was a technician, but you know, it gave me a really deep appreciation for what was possible with science, ingenuity, and a clear vision. Um, so you know, that was really my 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 start of like my passion for working in the natural world. And that was the inception of windlift. So for the past 17 years, we've been working to optimize airborne wind energy systems, and our systems aim to reduce the electricity costs and you know broaden the viability of wind energy, uh, both in the US and internationally. And and you know, I like to say we're using the ultimate power of nature, the process of evolution uh, to forge a sustainable future.
0: Okay. Biology to wind energy. Uh, What an interesting route. Um, Can you give us a brief history lesson about how wind has been harnessed to generate uh, power?
1: Yeah. It's a really, you know, humans have been tapping the power of the wind for, you know, thousands of years, I, I think the ancient Egyptians were the ones who first utilized wind energy for sailing um, up and down the Nile as early as like 5000 BC. Then the Dutch started using windmills in the Middle Ages to drain swampland and to grind grain because their land was so flat, they, they didn't have running that much running water. So they had to be creative and they had a lot of wind. Um, But it really wasn't the 19th century that we started using wind for electricity generation. Um, There were some turbines that were built but they were close to the ground, they were unreliable. So as we like electrified and the grid came to be it was really centralized thermal power plants that had better economics and more reliability. So they kind of won the, the argument, you know, coal power. And that was the cheapest way to generate electricity. But you know, in the 1970s with the oil crisis You know, people started investing in new, you know, the government started investing in new technologies. And uh, there were a lot of substantial technological breakthroughs, particularly from Denmark and uh, some breakthroughs in the United States as well. So, you know, with those breakthroughs, wind now today is one of the most cost-effective sources of electricity, Uh, and there's a lot of ongoing research and development focused on making it even cheaper and more reliable.
2: Could you please tell us two to three main advantages of wind energy compared to uh, traditional sources?
1: So first off, you know, uh, so wind is renewable, so unlike fossil fuels, which are... Finite wind is you know an endless resource. It's right there, ready for us to harness. You know, making it a sustainable power source that can serve us for generations to come. Um, second, wind is incredibly clean. So when the turbines spin, they don't emit greenhouse gases or generate waste. They're just converting energy that's always flowing around us uh, into usable power, and that significantly reduces environmental impact as well. Then lastly, wind power is really cost-effective. But so many technological advances in the past you know 50 years and, and the economies of scale that have been achieved by wind are just remarkable. Um, It's now the the cheapest source of electricity available today. So the the beauty of wind energy, it's very minimal ongoing costs once the turbine is installed. So we're not dependent on fuel. You know, it's free after all, once you have it up there. So it's this blend of sustainability, cleanliness and cost effectiveness that I think makes wind power an outstanding choice in our journey towards a more sustainable economy and civilization.
0: And on the flip side, what are some technical market or political challenges associated with offshore wind energy?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. That really drives my business. You know, first because the wind doesn't blow consistently. You know, it creates challenges for steady power generation. But that's actually where airborne wind comes into play because our airborne systems they can reach steady winds. You know, above 200 feet without a tower or foundation. Um, And we can also use our autonomous controls, our power electronics, and batteries to smooth the power output from our system. Um, and, And second, you know, there are concerns by a lot of people about the environmental and aesthetic impacts of traditional wind turbines. I don't know if you've like driven through Indiana at night um, where there's a lot of wind turbines, but it's definitely something you can see around you all the time. And a lot of people don't like that. So um, that's another area where wind lifts technology shines. You know, our systems are more compact and less visually intrusive and, and their higher altitude operation reduces the risk to local wildlife and and particularly birds, which can be impacted by turbines. Uh, And then finally, there's this challenge of uh, upfront capital cost and infrastructure. These are massive machines. It's just awe-inspiring when you're near them, but there's a lot of steel, a lot of concrete that goes into these turbines, a lot of uh, composites. So it's another area where we hope, you know, our technology can make a difference is because we're in our systems are 10 to 20 times less material so you know there's less visually intrusive and hopefully we think that less material eventually make them a lot cheaper and make the electricity from them lower cost
2: so then compared to onshore wind what are the benefits of offshore wind energy generation
1: so offshore wind is you know where we're trying to go next um we just won this department of energy award that was just announced recently for an offshore buoy system that we designed a wind lift but there are a lot of advantages to going offshore you know first offshore winds are stronger and more consistent, which means they kind of get around this intermittency issue a little bit, the higher capacity factor compared to onshore wind. Second, you know, the earth is 71% water. So there's, and there's also a significant proportion of the global population that lives near the coast. So harnessing offshore wind, it's this huge potential energy source right where it's needed most. And and people don't live in the open ocean. So there's not this issue of people that don't want to have a, you know, 400 foot wind turbine in their backyard. So that, that, that eliminates that problem. And then finally, there are people that do use the open ocean, particularly fishing fleets. You know, we'd use a pretty small... With our technology, pretty small, and even offshore wind, it uses a very small percentage of the open ocean for to generate the power. And fishing fleets actually burn a lot of fuel, so I kind of see a future where offshore wind can provide the power to power those fishing fleets to create a you know sustainable future of fishing and fish farming. And finally, I guess a lot of people you know they have problems with offshore wind because of you know whale issues and. And they don't like the idea of somebody else in their space. But actually, a lot of marine biologists think that it would be really good to have marine sanctuaries where fish could be protective, kind of like a seed stock for fisheries. And the way we think of offshore wind, we could provide those secure you know, marine sanctuaries and, and actually increase the productivity of surrounding fisheries.
0: I'd like to dig deeper into WindLift itself. What was the motivation for founding the company in the first place?
1: Yeah, that's a, it's a... Interesting question. So my interest in airborne wind energy really started in 2001. I read this really intriguing article about some scientists at Caltech who were using a kite to lift a three and a half ton obelisk. And it was inspired by an Egyptian hieroglyphic that they had seen that showed something that looked like a bird that was tethered to the ground lifting an obelisk. And they thought maybe this was how they lifted the obelisk. They actually used a giant kite. And there was this one phrase from the article that really resonated with with me. It said, uh, I'm quoting it here, it said, the opening of the sail generated a huge initial force, far greater than the normal pull when the kite is static. So this really sparked my curiosity. And I began thinking about how this force could, could be used it's an acceleration force and you could use that force to generate electricity so i was kind of like really fascinated by this i drew a lot of designs i was i was kind of like this is really amazing And i actually took a bunch of my physics models to the aerospace engineering professor at university of wisconsin madison and he said yeah it looks like your math is good so i kept looking around and then eventually i stumbled on this paper by a guy named miles lloyd from lawrence livermore laboratory and he wrote this paper called crosswind kite power and he was way better at math than me. And he actually proposed this idea for a robotic controller to fly a kite in a pattern that would constantly use that initial force, that acceleration force to generate electricity. So he actually laid out the math that I was struggling with. And I took that math and analyzed it. And I was just was like, wow, this could reduce the stuff you need to make wind energy by 20 times or more. So that's kind of got me started. So I, you know, I I was a biologist. I was working in genomes. I I was kind of continuing that path, but I had this kind of side obsession with airborne wind energy. So I decided to go back to business school and uh, learn more about business. So I, I, I applied to business school. I was still kind of on the fence if I thought I might go into genomics or energy, but then by that time in 2005, 2006, you know, climate change was, there was no longer much of a debate in the scientific community. And and I decided I didn't want my career to be mapping the genomes of species as they went extinct. I'd rather try to use my previous talent for making machines that did amazing things. You know, I've always been fascinated with that. So I decided to apply that to this issue of global warming. Um, So that's really the the mission that inspires us every day.
0: Can you describe in a little bit more detail WindLift's um, airborne wind energy system, both the autonomous flight control software as well as the conductive tether? Um, How is it better than traditional systems, and how does the technology harness wind more efficiently and or more cost-effectively compared to conventional wind turbines?
1: Yeah, this is an area that's really near and dear to my heart. You know, I wish we had a few hours to talk about this because it's definitely, we are, we, we love our technology and we get excited about it. Um, there's a lot of nuance here, um, but basically our technology revolves around what we call the airborne power generator or APG for short. Think of it as a sophisticated kite with four rotors. These rotors serve two key functions. First, they lift the APG off the ground. So it can launch from the ground or launch from a a perch and uh, and a buoy in the open ocean. And those rotors launch in the sky and help it ascend into the sky where the winds are stronger and more consistent. Then once they're in the sky, they work as turbines to harness the wind's power. So then the wing starts to generate acceleration, and then the turbines go into drag mode and start generating a current, and that sends that electricity from that current down the tether. So, So the wind power pulls the ABG along. And it's constrained by the conductive tether. And the tether doesn't just keep the wing from flying. It also serves as the path for the generated electricity to reach the ground. And then the flight control software makes sure that the APG is continually following the optimal path to maximize its speed and its maximize its electricity generation while not overloading the system so that it tears itself apart. So we utilize like this advanced flight control software. It's always dynamically adjusting the control surfaces on the wing to make sure it stays within safe operational parameters. One significant advantage of this is it just greatly reduces the material use compared to conventional work times, wind turbines. So in a traditional wind turbine, you need to support the enormous weight of the turbine and handle the forces generated by the wind at the top of this high tower. It's got this huge bending moment. So then you have to have both in the turbine blade, you have a bending moment, and in the turbine tower, you have a bending moment. So most of this mass is to um, deal with these forces that are built up by these huge bending moments. So we don't have any of those bending moments in our system. It's just tension in the tether that's attached to an anchor. In machine design, there's a fundamental concept. Some of the structure's in tension, and some of it's in compression. And the the, the most efficient structure would be completely in tension. Think like a balloon, where everything's in tension against the air pressure inside the balloon. Balloon, or everything's in compression, things like concrete that, you know, it, it's easy to pull apart, but it can handle tremendous loads and compression. So that's what we do with our system. Most of the system ends up being in tension. So you get rid of most of that structure to harness the same amount of wind energy.
2: Um, you kind of touch upon this, but also in what ways does wind lifts technology address the challenges associated with traditional wind energy systems?
1: I guess, you know, let's, let's talk about offshore because that's an area we're trying to go. Uh, you know, I talked a little bit about how just the material advantage is huge, you know, 20 times better than an onshore wind turbine. And we do that by our unique way of of harnessing the energy from the wind with this getting rid of the tower and the foundation. Well, because we get rid of the tower and foundation, we can go offshore for even better cost advantage because for an offshore wind turbine, they've got to build a foundation and a tower in the middle of the ocean. So it's like they're building a skyscraper in the middle of the ocean. It's very expensive and challenging. You know, companies like Denmark's Orsted, they've triumphed, frankly, over these technical hurdles and they've set impressive benchmarks. But they're still constrained by the depth because they need to put their pilings into the seafloor so they can't go much deeper than maybe, you know, 30 meters. Our systems, because we don't have a tower and foundation, all we have is an anchor. So we can go deeper and all we have to do is just make the anchor line a little bit longer. So that, so we can go deeper without adding much extra cost. And and that I think will make our system much more competitive. So though though typically offshore is more expensive than onshore, you know, offshore wind is competitive with fossil fuels and as the technology improves and technology like ours, we can expand the range for offshore wind to these places where the water is too deep or they don't don't have the economies of scale, um, like island nations and stuff around the world that right now they they can't really use offshore wind, the Caribbean, the South Pacific. I mean, you need a multi-billion dollar port facility to handle the equipment for offshore wind. And there aren't that many places in the world that have those facilities.
2: Uh, can you provide some examples of uh, real-world scenarios where windless technology has been, or it could be uh, deployed, showcasing its versatility and potential impact?
1: Yeah, I'd love to dive into those scenarios um, where we think our tech can really make an impact. So we are still in the development phase. So this is all kind of our, our plans for the future. And we think the possibilities for applying airborne power generators to solving you know, remote power problems are, are really vast and varied. One of the most exciting applications is in mobile power. So that's an area that traditional wind really can't compete because these systems are so huge. Just for reference, we have a system that weighs about 50 pounds, uh, 20 kilograms, and that produces as much power as a system that would weigh 400 kilograms. So would you rather carry 20 kilograms of stuff or uh, 400 kilograms of stuff? It's, It's no question especially for our customers in the military. So we like to imagine a world where power generation is not limited to the stationary structures or these complex grid systems, but you, APGs could be deployed in remote locations or disaster-stricken areas, you know, providing much needed electricity and uh, communications because we're flying you know, up at 200 feet so we can provide a communications tower as well. And, and we can do this quickly and efficiently without the need for large-scale infrastructure. That makes our system ideal for temporary power needs too. So say you're hosting a major outdoor event or you're setting up a construction site in a remote place without grid electric, you know, RAPGs can provide the power you need without the time and cost associated with setting up traditional power sources. So, I mean, that's a dream of mine to someday power burning man. So, so once the event or the project is done, the power generators could be easily removed. and, you know, that would have a minimal impact on the environment. And, you know, that adaptability is something we're really proud of. So, you know, we're always still learning from this technology and what's Possible, um, you know, we fly our testing, all you know, to make it more reliable. But we think the future is incredibly exciting. So we really can't wait to see what our tech can, you know, bring power to people in places that need it most, and do it in a way that's sustainable for our planet.
0: So I remember a few years ago uh, reading about Makani, which used kites to harness wind for generation of renewable electricity, and it was funded by Google X Moonshot Factory but it shut down after 15 years. Can you describe their approach, um, especially relative to what WindLift is doing? How is WindLift different?
1: Yeah, that's right, Salma. Uh, Makani also aimed to harness wind wind through airborne uh, solutions like us, Um, but they favored a, a bigger is better approach. And I think they did that because in the history of onshore wind, that's always been true for the economics. Bigger is better. So... They followed that path, which was very logical, and they constructed these gigantic 30-meter uh, span wings that could carry eight turbines, and those were intended to generate 600 kilowatts of power. So the challenge they faced in making these really large structures, they're very complex um, composite design in these structures, and the cost of controlling these large structures, the motors, the, everything else was, was very challenging, and, and they made some great strides. They also had challenged when they chose to go offshore because they partnered with Shell Oil and Shell designed these huge steel spar buoys um, for the open ocean. So the county's data and experience, they're very generous and released a lot of that publicly after they shut down and their data and their experience really has been indispensable to, for our progress. So really grateful to them and Google for releasing that data and organizing it in a way that was accessible to the rest of the airborne wind energy community. So, yeah, I like to you know echo Newton's words, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants uh, in the Makani project. I, I don't think as a failure. I think as part of a deep tech learning cycle, if you will, because there are challenges to this technology and Makani helped that a lot. So using that data Makani released, uh, WindLift, we charted a, a distinct path. Um, we prioritize material efficiency and simplified logistics over size. So our airborne power generators are compact, yet they're highly productive, and they're designed for safe and efficient operation in a wider variety of conditions. So today, like our designs are optimized to be five times as material efficient, Per kilowatt hour of energy is Makani and our floating buoy that we've designed we're working on a department of energy project right now on that um, that system that we've designed uses about 50 times less material than the Makani shell oil buoy and it's designed to survive 50 year storms in the open ocean so we think our focus on you know minimizing crash risks and costs employing more advanced flight control software and creating smaller systems that are more robust against turbulent winds I think that sets us apart so we do we do share Makani's vision for harnessing wind power but you know our our unique approach you know we think you know efficiency cost reduction and and then because we're smaller we can serve higher value remote clients uh, which we hope to make a sustainable business um, and avoid the obstacles that brought Makani down.
2: Can you discuss any specific projects or partnerships that Windlift has undertaken to advance its technology and explore new applications?
1: Yeah, so um, over the years we've been really fortunate to work, you know, on a whole host of projects that have pushed us to develop and refine our technology. Um, so we've completed six research projects with the U.S. Marine Corps, the Army, and the Navy Research Lab, and we're super excited to kick off a project this fall with the Navy Research Lab and uh, the Office of Secretary of Defense. On the uh, manufacturing front, we're actively working on a proposal with the Institute for Advanced Composite Manufacturing Innovation, and that goal, of that project is to trim down our manufacturing costs. And make our tech even more affordable and easier to mass produce. Um, so, and on the industry partnership side, you know, we're really happy to have David Hardy on our advisory board. David is the CEO of Orsted Americas. Orsted is the world's largest offshore wind energy. And, and the wisdom we gain from the entire Orsted team have really been invaluable. So as we eye up, you know, potential offshore pilot projects, their expertise will be an incredible boon for us. Um, so and you can see we're in a position where we're not just developing technology. But we're trying to really integrate it into practical scenarios and collaborate with leaders in the field and, you know, push the boundaries of what's possible with airborne wind. It's, it's really an exciting time for us at
2: OneLift. Thank you. Um, you kind of hinted at it before, but could you share some insights into the collaboration and partnership with the U.S.'s Department of Defense and then also uh, your recently completed Phase 3 SBIR contract with the U.S. Uh, Marine Corps uh, System Command and Navy Research Laboratory?
1: Yeah, thanks, Alima. I'm really proud of this project and I'm happy to talk about it. So last summer, uh, we wrapped up this engaging 21 month project with Marine Corps Systems Canada Navy Research Lab. So this project was all about designing a system that we believe would meet the demanding and complex requirements of the Marine Corps. So it's you know important to, to note that working with the Department of Defense really shines a light on some unique challenges. So think about it, the DOD's electricity needs are massive they um, one of the largest electricity consumers in the world, <laughs> and they've often been operating in locations where power supply can be vulnerable or inconsistent. So add that to the evolving dynamics of global security, there's a real threat uh, of near-peer competitors using their long-range strike capabilities to disrupt liquid fuel supply chains. So think drones, satellites, missiles, all that makes delivering liquid fuel to the tactical edge of a battlefield very expensive or maybe even impossible. Currently, it's the liquid fuel generators that's the primary source of electricity uh, for the Department of Defense. And without that electricity, we lose most of our advanced technical capabilities that that we rely on. So, we successfully completed a preliminary design review with, uh, of our we call it the C two airborne power generator with the Navy Research Lab, and they validated they fully validated our approach, uh, all the test data. Uh, you know, it's great to have an independent third party, you know, reinforcing our confidence that we're on the right path. In essence, our collaboration with the DoD is about more than just technology development. It's about understanding, addressing real world, high stakes challenges that can truly transform the way we harness wind energy.
2: Let's also talk about the next steps for Windlift. Uh, what are the future plans and aspirations for Windlift, both within the defense sector and in terms of expanding into other applications or industries?
1: Yeah, so, um, so that's an insightful question. So as we progress in the company, you know, our commitment the defense sector remains robust. We we think we have a really high value proposition. And I'm the son of two Marines, a uh, grandson of two Marines. Sorry, um, and a woman's auxiliary corps. So I'm I'm definitely committed to the the mission of supplying safe, secure electricity to our um, warfighters. Um, but you know, it's not just about that. It's it's about enhancing our technology to power off grid operations globally. So that we want to expand our impact beyond the Department of Defense. There's a lot of remote mining operations, remote farming communities that could use our technology to lower their electricity costs. Uh, we're also poised to bring our tech to a wider array of sectors like disaster relief and scientific research uh, in remote places where they need power. All those places are in desperate need of reliable off-grid power solutions. Right now, they're all dependent on fossil fuel delivery for their electricity. Also excited to play an instrument role in the energy landscape by integrating our technology into the larger power grid, you know, that's a longer term goal because grid electric is still really cheap. So, if you know, it's like any business plan, you always try to target your highest value customers first, but that's also the largest market. So, you know, we're excited to leverage our systems and and access wind in places that right now are not an economical for, for wind. And, you know, they're out of reach for traditional turbines and that provides a distinct edge. So, you know, we're not resting on our loyals. We're, you know, we're always pushing the boundaries of this technology. We're always improving our flight control algorithms, materials, you know, power conversion efficiency, and, and more. There's just so many technical places that we can make advancements that allow us to access more markets and serve those customers um, economically.
0: Um, so I'm generally interested in the intersection of innovation and regulation, and I'm wondering how does WindLift navigate the regulatory landscape, and how does it address any potential concerns or hurdles that are related to deploying um, its airborne power generators?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, That's a constant concern for us. Of course, as engineers, um, as product developers, our, our main goal is to make a product that doesn't cause any harm to our customers or their communities or the environment. So navigating that complex regulatory landscape is crucial for us at WindLift. Um, so, you know, we, we do that by proactively engaging with, uh, aviation authorities first off like the FAA. Um, so that ensures our power generators e- exceed all safety standards and integrate seamlessly with air traffic. Um, of course with our military customers, that's easier because they control their air traffic in their areas and are a little more flexible than the FAA, but, um, our long-term goal is to be integrated with the FAA as well. So, um, so simultaneously, besides FAA and aviation authorities, we have to integrate smoothly into the energy grid. So there's a ton of regulatory requirements about how you, you know, hook up to the grid and how you supply reliable electricity. Customers are worried about that too, because they want to have reliable electricity. So our plan is to employ pilot projects and rigorously test and demonstrate all our capabilities. And then finally, as I mentioned, environmental stewardship is... Paramount to us. That's why we exist as a company. Um, so we're committed to understanding and mitigating any environmental impacts. Um, so that's kind of how we prioritize being good neighbors, staying actively engaged with local communities, addressing all stakeholder concerns, and showcasing our technology's positive impacts. You know, in any regular environment, there's a cost benefit um, equation that's happening, and we think the benefit of our technology will vastly exceed our the costs. So. Um, Yeah, so that's why despite all these challenges of fitting a new technology into pre-existing regulatory framework, you know, we're proactive about contributing to dialogue and collaborating with regulators to pave the way for our technology um, and a sustainable future.
0: So we're coming to an end here, and I'm wondering if you can summarize how you see WindLift's technology contributing to the transition to clean energy and broader renewable energy landscape. Um, As renewable energy continues to gain prominence, how do you envision the future of the wind energy generation and specifically the role that wind lifts technology will play?
1: Energy is a really complicated area. And um, as you get into it, I mean, you really appreciate for all the new technologies out there right now for clean tech, there aren't really that many that are competitive, really solar, Grid-scale solar and, and, you know, grid-scale wind are the only two technologies that right now today can compete with, you know, coal and natural gas-fired plants, uh, thermal plants. So airborne wind is fundamentally different in many ways and and recognizing those differences and taking advantage of them because anytime a new technology comes on the scene, it's got to be a lot better than the existing technology because there's always going to be a learning curve associated with integrating that new technology into a viable economic kind of structure. So to have a viable business, you need to be a lot cheaper than existing technology because and better because existing technology has been around for 30 years and they've taken every penny they can of efficiency out of it to make it even more competitive. So it's tough to compete on that front. So, you know, we just have this dedication to making our system the most energy dense possible. That's kind of our driving, you know, cost eventually is going to be a big part of it, but it's hard to, you know, it's hard to make a model and simulation that, accurately reflects all the potential futures you know scenarios for costs so we focus on energy density so because that's our focus that means the that defense sector which has been instrumental in advancing our technology up till now that defense sector is really important to us because for them, energy density, that, that means the most amount of energy and the smallest amount of weight or space requirement is, is like really important to them. Um, so that's a that's a huge value for airborne wind energy. We're 20 times better than horizontal axis wind turbines in terms of that energy density. So that's kind of the place we focus the most on. So that, that energy density allows us then to go into other off-grid power solutions like disaster relief, remote construction, scientific research. And we believe Windlift is perfectly positioned to meet the needs of those customers as well. And thankfully those customers are also really high value customers. So they might pay four to 10 times as much per kilowatt hour as a grid connected US customer might. So think like Island Nations where you pay 50, 60 cents a kilowatt hour for diesel powered electricity you know, that's that's a place where we think we can make a big impact. So so that's kind of, I guess, that summarizes. So yeah, so the ongoing commitment to to imp- improving the technology, we want to get on that learning curve. So that allows us to start to compete on costs someday. But while we get there we just have to keep you know breaking down that energy density equation into our flight control algorithms material strength um, and power conversion efficiency and that allows us to work our way down that learning curve and hopefully someday be competitive for grid electric and even if we're never competitive for grid electric we still hope to make a sustainable business providing power to customers in places where they don't have access to that low-cost electricity um, that we're used to having here connected to the grid in the united states
0: this has been really educational, Rob. Thank you so much again for joining me and Halima and sharing your insight both with us and our audience.
1: Thanks, Salma. It's really been a pleasure to be your podcast. Great questions. I um, appreciate your attention to, to what we're doing and hope that um, your audience finds this conversation valuable and maybe there's a chance for us to work with members of your audience in the future to advance our technology. Thank you.